Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. We're, we're going to start actually by just um, praying briefly for uh, Pauline, who's hurt her back this morning and... Uh, I found her kneeling at the bed. I think he thought perhaps she was in intercessory prayer, but she wasn't. She'd hurt her back uh, really quite badly and had to then be helped back into bed. And so, um, yeah, why don't we just stand for a moment and just pray for our leaders to in prayer for Pauline. Uh, Father, we do thank you uh, that we belong to you. We thank you that we are children of the kingdom of God. We thank you that you are the one who says, I make all things new. And we thank you that you are the one who fearfully and wonderfully made our bodies. And uh, so we ask you as the great physician to now come and place your healing hand on Pauline's back. Lord, we pray that you will ease any muscle strain, that you will relieve severe pain. Lord, we pray for a, a sense almost of warming in that muscle right now and for it to begin to heal and mend. We pray that this will not be debilitating for the whole of this last week of her holiday before she returns to work. But we pray for rapid, unexpectedly rapid healing for her. And we ask that she would be aware of your presence with her, that you will calm her and give her peace. Lord, where she could be anxious about, oh, what's this going to mean? And what's my last week of the holiday going to be like? We pray for a sense of the peace of God that passes understanding as we bring her anxieties to you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, for your glory's sake, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Please take your seats. Uh, So just because I know I'll forget at the end, if you're not quite sure where you're going, Bill's produced a little map. Uh, for uh, two o'clock when we get when we leave, I guess we'll leave about half past twelve. Or, yeah, about half past twelve. So it's going to be quick cup of tea afterwards, and then off. And I've and I've got to be quick too. So and uh, so there's the map, and that's at the back. So we are, as Owen said, just finishing off uh, the series that we've run across the summer, where we've looked at various characters from the Bible, and today we're looking at my namesake. We are looking at Philip. We are looking at Philip, and there are at least three Philips that are, uh, you hear about in the New Testament. And uh, this Philip is the one who's commonly known as Philip the Evangelist. And uh, so we're going to pick up that story in just a moment. Before we do, I want to read these words to you. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man, or it could be translated that the messenger, the man, the messenger, the people of God, may be complete and equipped for every good work. I don't know if you've um, been to many weddings. Um, Who likes weddings here? Okay, yeah. Um, I've been to loads and loads of weddings and if you're part of a church family you end up going to loads of weddings and particularly if you if you play you you know the the payoff quite often if you play is oh we'll invite you to the reception so you get uh, to go to lots of weddings if you play and so I've been to loads of weddings and uh, there are those two types of reception afterwards aren't there there's like the one where you sit down and you've got the the three course meal 
and it's and it's all brought out by waiters and that sort of thing and that's pretty nice i've been to a few of those i think of pete and lucy's as an example of that very very nice and then you've got the other sort of wedding which is a buffet style and even sometimes just put on by the the church by the people in the church and uh, you know the food's all laid out and you just you work your way along the table and you just you pick the choice bits that you really want and actually and i like both of those i really like both and you know i was thinking this this week that actually sermons are a bit can be a bit like that you can get your three point sermon which is your you know your three course meal it's going to be good and it's going to be solid it's going to really fill you up it's going to be fantastic and you can also get the sort of sermon that's a bit more of a a buffet style so there'll be maybe some little bits of something or other and everybody will have something and it might be different to the bit that you have because I don't you know that bit's more for me at the moment than that bit is and today's is a little bit of like that it's been more of a buffet than a three-course meal I'm just <laughs> just preparing you for that because we're going to look at the life of Philip and in we've got half an hour to do it so it's it's going to be more of a buffet than a three-course meal but as I was looking at the story of this man who is gripped by the good news about Jesus as you read about him um I also felt that God was saying some stuff around the context in which he was operating. So although we are going to look at Philip a little bit, we'll also look a little bit at the context that he's operating in and just some of the things that, that I felt oh, that, that God was just saying to me, teaching me as I was reading this passage and these passages about Philip. So we're going to start off by reading the, the first account of him where he first appears, and that's in Acts chapter 8. Uh, verses 4 to 8, which should come up, there we go, and uh, I'll read this and then I'll give you a little bit of the context and then we'll look a little more at, at what, what that context seems to teach us. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, now Hellenists were just Jews that um, had been brought up in other parts of the world and they were Greek-speaking, that's what Hellenists means, so these were Greek speaking Jews who had joined the church, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So this is the daily distribution of food. The church was trying to care for its vulnerable, for its vulnerable people, its orphans and its widows. And there was this complaint coming up by one side of the church, if you like, that they seem, their widows seemed to be being um, neglected. And the twelve, so these are the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The context that this is happening in is this chapter before is a real fast paced one. If you read chapter five of Acts, a whole load of stuff happens. The first thing that happens in chapter five of Acts is that Ananias and Sapphira 
are struck dead for lying to the Holy Spirit. And then it says that the word of God increased. It says that the apostles and the disciples were preaching in the temple courts and everyone was afraid of them. And yet the disciples grew in number. It's this thing where they, they were a bit afraid, but actually the church continues to grow. Chapter five talks about miracles. It talks about uh, the shadow of Peter as he's walking, falling on people and then getting healed. People would put people along the roadside just so his shadow could hit it. It talks about, it uses the phrase, multitudes of men and women became disciples. It is fast paced. The church is growing like crazy. And then you get this rather odd passage, beginning of chapter six, where it talks about a complaint within the church. And you know what? As I read that, I thought, well, yeah, I think if I was a leader in the church at the moment, this thing is just exploding. We are getting such favour from God in terms of our evangelism. It's just, and there's a, there's a bit of a complaint. Sorry. What, sorry, you're complaining. You're not, what, can you not see what's happening? I'd be tempted, I think, to say to the Hellenists, I know, okay, yeah, okay, I know your, your widows aren't, but, yeah, but, but look what's happening. It's, you know, look what's happening. The gospel's going forward. The church is growing. Really? But actually, we, I think Luke, who writes this book, puts this in here for a very, very good reason. Because actually, the apostles deal with this and they deal with it fast. Why do they deal with it fast? Well, I think there's some leadership lessons in this. Because I think that the apostles recognise, OK, this is like this is a bit of a distraction. But not only is this a distraction, but actually, if we don't deal with this, a bitter root is going to grow in the church. And so there's such wisdom in the way that the apostles are leading at this time, because although everything is going on around them in terms of evangelism and the church is exploding in terms of numbers, actually, they also recognise we need to look after and shepherd and pastor the flock well. Otherwise, we ain't going to have anything to bring all these converts into. And there's such wisdom in the way that they stop and consider that. But look what they don't do. They don't say, OK, well, we'll let, OK, let's put all of this on hold for a moment. I think we need to focus on the widows here. We need to get this right. But what they do instead is they recognise what their role is and what other roles are. They say, look, it's not good for us to give up preaching. That's what we're here to do and to give ourselves to the word and to prayer. Okay, but let's delegate. Let's delegate. But they don't delegate everything. They delegate the responsibility of finding people to sort this problem out, but they still keep hold of leading this thing by saying, you present them to us, and then we'll set them apart for that work. You see, they, they are very careful not to delegate too much away. Such a good example of leadership. They act quickly. They recognise that actually what, what their role is, is not to sort this, but is to delegate, but to still be over it, over it and responsible for it. It's such a good example, I think, of, of good pastoral leadership. So these murmurings come into the church. The apostles, they bring this good pastoral leadership. They're wise in what they delegate and what they don't. The other thing that we read in that passage is that they don't seem to differentiate in terms of what you need if you're going to do a practical role 
or if you're going to do something spiritual. They don't, they don't differentiate between that. What do they say? They say, brothers, pick out from among you men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. They're very clear that actually this practical role of sorting out this inequality in terms of how we're looking after these widows as opposed to how we're looking after these widows. And actually, there's just a, there's, there's a bit of racial inequality going on here. We need to sort this out. Uh, so who should we find? OK, well, let's find someone who's got a good logistical brain, who can just sort out what gets to the heart of the problem, someone who's good, really managerial, uh, someone who's got some of those soft people skills so we can just smooth the waters over here. They don't actually do that at all. They don't ask for specific skills. They don't look for people who have got a particular experience or a background. What they say is, OK, let's find people, church, who you think are, have a good reputation, who you think well of, who you can say, yeah, we think these guys are full of the spirit and they've got wisdom. And let's choose them. You see, that's the qualification. Don't ever feel that you're disqualified from serving because actually the qualification here is character and it's anointing by the spirit and it's a sense of wisdom. It's not necessarily a specific gifting. It's character that they're looking for. So that's what they're looking for in terms of, if you like, the qualification. And then the equipping to do the job. Well, that's something that, the, that the, the leaders of the church, the apostles, they take that back and they say, right, this is our role now. What do they do with these seven who've been identified? They call them forward and they pray for them and they lay hands on them and they set them apart for the work. You see, sometimes, I don't know about you, but if there's something coming up and there's a, a role that, that needs to be done and I think, well, I'm not sure I've got the skills for that. But actually what God looks for is he looks for character. He looks for those who've got good reputation among the church, who are full of the spirit, who've got some wisdom. And then he equips them. He equips them to do it. You know, that's so helpful, isn't it? When we can feel, you know, I just don't know, God, if, I, if I'm up to this task. And actually God says, well, no, no, no I, I do that bit. I do the equipping. And the apostles pray and they lay hands and set these people apart. That made me think, actually, about how we do that when there's a role to be filled. It's really important for us to see this as spiritual and not practical. Caring for our kids on a Sunday morning. Well, let's choose people who are good with kids and, you know, yeah, OK, that's good to do that. But actually, this is a spiritual role. The welcome team, well, you know, let's choose people who've got good interpersonal skills and, yeah, important to that. But actually, now this is a spiritual role. We need to pray. We need to set people apart. Because the kingdom works completely differently to how the world works. And isn't that wonderful? Because it means when you and I don't feel equipped and we're trying to make an effort to make a good impression. And you know how horrible that feeling is, you know, when you're trying to make a good impression and you're just... Well, you're stressed about it and you're slaving away and you're trying to think through in your head, what am I, what's my line going to be? How am I going to present myself here? And God says, no, 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 no. I equip you for what you need to do what I've asked you to do. Always. I equip you. If I've set you apart, if you've been recognised to do this and, and you've been set apart, I'll equip you. Such wisdom in the way that they just deal with this.
And this is then when Philip comes into the story and we read that he is one of the seven um, who's chosen. And I guess with all these guys, and particularly with Philip, as we look a little bit more in a moment about some of the other things that happens with Philip, there are three words, I guess, that really came to my mind as I looked at him. He was willing, he was available, and he was obedient. He was willing, he was available, and he was obedient. You know, if you'd have said to Philip a few months before this happened, what do you feel the call of God is on your life, Philip? Do you feel a call? I don't know what Philip would have said, but I'm pretty sure that he wouldn't have said, yeah, my call that I've felt really since I was a young lad and I've had it prophesied over me a number of times is to wait on tables. It just is. That's, that's my calling. It's to sort out issues with old widows and to wait on tables. That's, my, that's been my calling all ever since I was a child. He wouldn't have said that because, that, because how was he to know that that was going to happen? But what Philip was, was he was willing and he made himself available. And then when it became clear, when the people said, do you know what? We think you, we think, we think you could be good at this. We think, we think we like to choose you. He makes himself available. He makes himself available. Do you know, I found that quite a challenge myself. I, I think sometimes we can think, well, do you know, I just think that's not quite my thing. I don't, I'm not sure I should be doing that really. Um, but there's something about making yourself willing and available when something comes your way. Uh, Ecclesiastes talks about whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Whatever your hand finds to do. Yeah, but I'm waiting because I just feel the call of God on me is it to be an evangelist. And I'm, I'm just not sure how waiting on tables is going to help me with that trajectory you know, to get to being an evangelist, you know, I, you know, I just, so, so actually thanks for the offer, but, but I'm going to say no to that. I mean, it's just, I'm just not one of those practical guys. I just, I need to be in the word and I need to be doing some courses on actually how to share your faith. So I've booked up some of those, and, but you know, it's not part of my trajectory, but actually no, Philip didn't do that. Whatever came to, he found his hand was there to do. He did it with all his might. He did it willingly. It's a lesson for us, isn't there? So helpful. The Bible is so helpful. I found that challenging myself. There's that sense, isn't there, where it's here am I, send me. You know? And now that passage that comes from Isaiah, where Isaiah, it says, it starts off by saying, I was, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and, and, you know, and Isaiah's there, and he says, oh, um, I, and he had a vision. The Lord, in the, the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord. And he has this amazing vision. And then out of this amazing vision of the Lord comes this, okay, here am I, send me. And you know, one of the things that we should pray for if we don't feel like that, and you know, regularly I don't particularly feel like that. I don't feel, Lord, here am I, send me, a lot of the time. The thing to pray for then is, to pray that you'd be gripped again by Jesus. When you look at Philip's life, he is clearly a man who is just gripped by Jesus. And that makes him willing. When I came back to God after a period of being away and went through a prodigal son type experience where I just felt his forgiveness 
and his acceptance again after some years of just really not, not living a, a good and godly life. I was willing to do anything. I tell you, I was. I came back into church life. And I was accepted again by him and I was just willing to do anything. Because I was just gripped again by, oh, God. You know, Isaiah in that passage is gripped because the angel brings a coal and touches his lips and says, you're clean. Because Isaiah says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. That was me. I was a man of unclean lips. And then he experiences the forgiveness and the restoration of God. And suddenly Isaiah says, oh, send me. Here am I. God says, who will I send? Oh, I'll go. I'll go. It's a bit like this is what's happened with Philip too. He's just gripped. It's gripped by the gospel. We need seven guys who are just going to sort out this issue we've got. with. It. Yeah, OK, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm not sure whether it's, you know, I, I didn't know perhaps that that's the way things were going. I didn't expect that. But you need it. You think it's, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. Really good example, isn't it, of just responding to being gripped by Christ. You know, John, when he talked this morning about thirsty and being thirsty. If you think, you know, God, I just don't feel like, you know, I've been asked to do this. and I don't want it. But ask to be thirsty for him again. That's where you start. You go back to Jesus. When you're feeling like, I, I just, I don't feel I've got the energy to do stuff. I, I'm feeling a little bit out of stuff. I feel a bit disillusioned with my faith. What should you do? You should just go back and say, Lord, make me thirsty. Make me thirsty. He'll always hear that prayer. He knows how we're formed. He remembers that we're dust. Our God is good to us. Philip was willing and he was available. And then, do you know, it's really interesting that the, at the end of this passage, this is what it says. Can you just bring up that first slide again, Bill? So look at the last bit there. It says there that they, that, so they set aside these seven guys to sort out the problem with the widows. Yeah, this is not going to be particularly significant on the onward march of the kingdom, is it? But, you know, let's get it sorted. Don't you believe it? Isn't it interesting that the next passage says, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to faith. Do you know, I think Luke writes that there because he's specifically saying, look, that problem was needed to be sorted out. These guys were willing. Do you know what? This could have caused a huge distraction. It could have brought disunity into the church. It could have brought a toxic, bitter root. And it needed to be sorted. And when it was sorted, and the word of God continued to increase. Do you know? It's really important, isn't it, that we always, do you know what? As, as individuals, when Paul talks about don't let a bitter root grow up. It's, it's right for us to act quickly and fast. Do you know, Owen's really good at that. I remember when he was a governor of, a, of the primary school that I worked at, he was chair of governors. And sometimes we would have just vexatious parents, you know, who would come in. You remember vexatious parents, don't you, from your days as a head? Um, vexatious parents would come in and you just think, oh, for goodness sake. And, and I was on the other side of this. And I remember sometimes being a bit frustrated because Owen would say, hang on a minute, as chair of governors, his role is different to mine. And he would say, hang on a minute, before we dismiss it, OK, their attitude might not be helpful. The way they've communicated this might not be helpful, but there might be a germ of truth in this that we need to listen to. Yeah. OK, all right then. All right then. He's, he's very, very good at that. 
So, so we're blessed in having someone who actually doesn't let this sort of thing fester. If this sort of thing comes up, oh, murmuring's about the creche, right? Okay, we need to find another building. We definitely need to find another building. Yeah, but Sunday's, you know, the main meeting's going fine, isn't it? You know, intimacy, it's wonderful. I mean, there's a bit of murmuring with the creche, you know, but no, 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 no. No, he's really good at this. It's, it's such a leadership lesson for us, isn't it? To deal with stuff, to not back off from it, but to face it head on, to know that there'll be grace and equipping to do it. And certainly anything that's likely to be, to be good ground for a bitter root to grow in, it needs to be ruthlessly dealt with. And that's what they did. And this was the result. The word of God continued to expand and to grow. And many, many became saved and became Christians. And then after this, the next chapter, which we won't look at, goes into Stephen's martyrdom. And, the, and suddenly, within a few verses, everything changes. This church that's been expanding and growing, all the excitement around, even some of the priests were becoming, do you know, can you imagine that? It would be like us saying, even, we've got a couple of imams who've even, whoa, amazing. And the stuff that's going on is just incredible. And then all of a sudden, everything changes. Almost overnight. In fact, it does almost change overnight. Because Stephen shares his faith fantastically and is martyred. And it then says, then the church was persecuted and it scattered. So this, this fantastic work that's been going on, this growing church, suddenly it gets scattered. And you know what? It's easy for us who know the end of the story to read that without actually realising what that really meant. Because that chapter 7 that talks about the scattering of the church, it says that Paul was causing havoc. The Bible uses a really strong word. It's causing havoc, destroying, all those you know, really strong words about what Paul is doing. And talks about Christian men and women being dragged from their homes and thrown into prison. And we can read that, and it just seems such a long time ago that sometimes, I don't know if about you, but you don't quite read into that what the effect of that must have been. I was thinking this morning, that probably meant that, you know, Bill and Jen were pulled out and dragged into prison. And Sam and Jerry, what's, what's happening to them? Families would have been completely and utterly disrupted. The church was scattered, this glorious church that's been growing, and you was just completely scattered. Somehow the apostles seemed to manage in hiding to sustain Jerusalem. But, but this fantastic church that's being built here is just, it's just completely ashes. It's scattered. And if you were part of that, wouldn't you be thinking, God, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you allowing this? Why are you allowing this? Families torn apart in prison. This church that you were building just scattered. What is this all about? What is this all about? Do you know, sometimes we, it's helpful for us to remember, God is always sovereign. He is sovereign in this. I'm sure the enemy was laughing all the way home. He was thinking, "What? Well, I've destroyed this embryonic faith in a moment, thinks Satan. But, you know, God's, God's church, the gates of hell will never prevail against it. That's the truth. They'll never prevail against it. And what happens is that we know that that scattering is responsible for actually bringing about, we'll look at it in a minute, 
for bringing about the prophecy of Jesus, who says you're going to go, you're to go to Jerusalem and to Judea and to Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. That's what it says. You think of a country like China in the 1960s, Chairman Mao, um, one of his greatest missions was to crush the church, to crush the church in China. And if you'd been living in China in those days, it must have been horrendous. And you, I guess Chinese Christians may well have been thinking, God, what, what are you doing? What are you allowing to happen? And now we read that there are estimates of 100 million Christians in China. The estimate is that it will soon outgrow the Protestant church in America. It's amazing, isn't it? Because the gates of hell will never prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. And it's good for us to remember that. You know, I, as I read, read this passage, I felt challenged because, I don't know about you, it's sometimes quite depressing when you look at what's happening to our country. Our country that had all of its laws built on the Bible. You know, our country that was called a Christian nation. And you look at it now and you hear about church numbers declining. And you see acts of parliament that are no longer built in any way, shape or form on the Bible. And you think, God, what, what are you doing? What, what, what are you allowing to happen to our nation? But the gates of hell will never prevail against his church. Sometimes we just have to wait. Like we've had to wait for a building. But the gates of hell will never prevail. Things may become messy and dark and confused, but nothing thwarts the hand of God and no weapon fashioned against him will stand. And this is what we see. God remains sovereign. God remains sovereign. So Philip, this man who's just been willing to wait on tables, is now in the next phase of his life going to be used to fulfil the prophecy of Jesus about the gospel going forward. And uh, we'll just read this passage briefly and then uh, we'll finish with this bit. So let's just read this bit about, about um, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. So Philip goes to Samaria and it says in the Bible, we won't read this bit, but it says in the Bible, that as he goes to Samaria, the people listen and he begins to teach and there are miraculous signs and wonders that follow his preaching. And the whole of Samaria is caught up. It says the whole of the city in Samaria that he went to was rejoicing. So much so that John and Peter are sent down from Jerusalem to pray for this burgeoning church in Samaria. The prophecy is beginning to be fulfilled. Perhaps at last Philip's thinking, ah, now I can see. OK, now, now I'm on my trajectory. Now, now, I'm, now I'm motoring. Yeah, that the whole city's with me. Fantastic. OK, now we're going. Now, now this is my mission. This is where I was heading. And then an angel comes. Let's see what it says. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Uh, this is a desert place. And he arose and went. Now, we won't read the rest of it at the moment because just for a moment, can you imagine what that was like? This guy's ministry is just ballooning and exploding. And now God says, 
yeah, just, just go to a road. It's not even a place. Yeah, go to a road. And, and by the way, it's a desert place. And it's about 50 to 70 miles away from Samaria. So when you read the commentaries, they say it was an arduous journey. And this guy whose ministry is just beginning to really explode and develop is now being sent to a road in a desert. It's not even being sent to a place, to a city, to a people. He doesn't know the bit about the Ethiopian eunuch yet. All he knows is that he's being sent to a road in a desert. Do you know what? God does stuff. His, his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. But isn't it great that when you read that small sentence that says, and he arose and went. Philip remains willing, available, obedient. You know what? Sometimes God may send you to roads in the desert. In your life, you might be on one of those now. You think, do you know what? I just don't know where this is going. I've got no idea, actually. And actually, it feels a bit arid and it feels a bit dry and it feels a bit relentless. It's just a road. I'm on a road and I don't know where it's going. I don't know where it's going. But God does. God has an end place in mind for that road. And by being obedient, you know, Philip then begins to fulfill the next bit of Jesus's prophetic word where he says, Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and all the ends of the earth. Because who is he destined to meet on this road? But a guy from Africa who is probably going to take the gospel into Africa, the Ethiopian eunuch. Because he was willing and he was available and he was obedient. We won't read the whole passage because we're getting near to 12 o'clock. God uses a man who waits on tables to fulfill the prophetic words of Jesus. And then it says after this, after he's met the Ethiopian eunuch, it says in all the, all the towns on the way to Caesarea, which is where he ends up settling, he preaches the gospel. This guy's gripped. And the last time we encounter Philip is in Acts 21. And there's just one short sentence about him. And he's now, this is about 20 years further on. And after he's met the Ethiopian eunuch, God's spirit whisks him away. And he begins a journey up to a place called Caesarea, which is where he settles. And 20 years later, right at the bit, towards the end of the book of Acts, in Acts 21, we read about Philip having four daughters who all prophesy. And Paul, on his final journey towards Jerusalem and prison, stays at Philip's house. And you think, wow, this guy, there's longevity in him. There's longevity in him. And he's brought up his family in the ways of the Lord, in the fear and the nurture of the Lord. He's been faithful with his family. And now he's got four daughters who prophesy. Wow. 
and Paul and his company come and who do they go and stay with and who is hospitable and who says, come stay with us. Do you know what it's like? He's back to where he started, isn't he? He's waiting on tables again. He's waiting on tables again. Oh, to be like this man. But why was this man like this? Because he was gripped. He was gripped by the Lord Jesus. There's a book that's been written by a guy called John Piper, and it's called When I Don't Desire God. And actually, there's been a couple of times today where there's just been that reference to if some of us maybe aren't feeling thirsty. And do you know what? We all go through seasons of that. And John Piper, who's now into his early 70s, he says, oh, I still have to fight for joy. And he's written this book. It's free to download. And it's just called When I Don't Desire God. And it's just full of some really good practical ideas about what what you can do when you feel like that. Do you know what? If you don't, if you feel like that at the moment, you think, I just don't have that sense of desire for God at the moment. I'm not thirsty for him. Do you know what? He knows he's not angry. He is willing. He is willing. Come back to him. Ask him. Make me thirsty again. Now, Philip clearly all the way through his life was gripped by this man, Jesus Christ. And that's what makes being willing to say, here am I, send me, so much easier if we're gripped, if we're gripped with him. So if you know at the moment in your spirit, you know, the whole willingness thing, Lord, I'm just not sure it's there at the moment. What you need is not, not to be disciplined. You don't need someone to give you a stiff talking to about responsibilities in the church. What you need is to come to the one who says, I'm willing. And you need to come to him and say, oh, God, Lord Jesus, grip me again. Grip me again. I tell you, once you're gripped again, then you're willing. Yeah. Bible says those who those who um, love have loved, have received not much love. They, 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 they love little in return. But when you are reminded again of how much you are loved, then you love back in return, willingly, gladly. He was a man who was gripped by the Lord Jesus and he was a man who was available and willing and obedient. May we be the same, gripped by the Lord Jesus and available and willing and obedient. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word that teaches, rebukes, encourages us. It's your word that helps us to be complete. And uh, thank you that your word never returns to you without accomplishing what you send it out to do. And uh, we pray today that all the words that we've heard across the whole of this meeting through worship and through hearing your word, your written word, We pray that it will continue that process of making us complete, that you will use it to make us complete and to equip us for every good work. And so, Lord, be glorified and honoured and in our lives. And as we as we go about this next phase, Lord, as we begin to think about moving and looking at a new venue and a slightly different locality. Oh, God, we ask, go with us. 
Keep us full of faith. Help us to continue to be gripped by the message of Jesus Christ and to be available and willing and obedient. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.